It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and it's St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. I'm Darren Hefty, we're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. As you know, on Farmer Fridays, we don't have any set agenda. We just want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So if you want to give us a call, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can certainly send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Got a number of emails to get to here in just a second. I believe Brian will be joining us a little bit later in the show. I don't think he was able to be on here this first segment with us, but uh, that that's okay. So if you want to ask a tough drainage tile question and you're like, man, I know what Brian's going to say. Yeah, you can, you can wait a little bit, but uh, if you want to get after me right now, you sure can. Uh, on Farmer Friday, uh, you know, when we think about what's going on right now, we've got more snow again, and that does create some challenges. Got my friend Tony Wendler on right now with okay. Farm Shop MFG to talk. Tony, how you doing? I am excellent, Darren. How are you today? Well, pretty good. Uh, survived that last shot of snow. Are, are we done now? Yeah, this is winter that doesn't end is what I feel like. <laughs> Although a lot of the last stuff came as a little bit of rain, and uh, so it's running rather than uh, building. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And and the good thing is we don't have a whole lot of frost in the ground, so before you know it here, we're going to roll. How far south from you do you have to go to get out of the snow? Tell you the truth, I've not been south for a while, but I'm thinking probably uh, 40, 50 miles you're going to be getting out of it. I know my son's down in Perry, uh, west side of Des Moines, and they've been open for quite some time, although they keep getting the, the rotten weather comes through with the snow sleep messy stuff but uh i can't i don't think it's too far south and it's open where we're at is is white yeah i know a lot of farmers i've been talking to that have been trying to get to grain bins to haul a little bit of grain before load limits come on some of the roads or before they get too busy with planting and field operations they've plowed snow out around the bins and then it's drifted back in on them and of course like you mentioned we've had rain and all kinds of things are you talking more about challenges with grain storage or are you talking more about getting planters set up at this time of year hey i'm actually the one of the i'll tell you a quick story here interesting challenge on trying to look at closing wheels uh in minnesota a uh i was talking to a a, a farmer who was trying to they're trying to put germinators onto a uh a, a soybean grain drilling type system where they've only got a closing wheel on one side and they were trying to look how that was going and normally here in march they would be thinking they could go out and try something and they couldn't. He said he and his brother got the unit out and they tried dragging it through snow to see if they could figure out something that way. <laughs> wow. He said they decided they had to wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that might be a, might be a good sign. Uh, no doubt about yeah. it. I was kind of thinking, well, that's getting pretty anxious. So if you're trying to use snow to substitute for soil and make a decision. But anyway, that's that's the challenge wheels, you know, very much so. Occasionally here and there, we're talking a little bit on grain bins, but uh, 95% of my conversations are pertaining to closing wheels and the upcoming season and uh, different things from that. And I'm, uh, I just had a, uh, you know, a brief conversation with a gentleman in Wisconsin this morning that talked about uh, 
he said, we've really got a really good uh, product. He was putting on uh, part of his planter and he wanted to wear out some of my competition's wheels a little bit further before he threw them into the trash bin. But uh, he was saying, oh, yeah, yours is a very good product. And he said, I just want to wear these out further. And um, many conversations with that, people who've tried it and uh, are just waiting to wear out what they've got and then switch to our product. So uh, that makes makes things fun. Yeah, I was just talking to a farmer this morning, and, and they've had some rain now this month, don't have any snow left. And he said the, the long-term forecast in their area was dry. And he said, how how am I going to handle these soils? He said, I, I'm sure in some of the lows, they're probably going to be a little wetter. In some of the higher ground, it might be a little bit lighter. And he was concerned about seed-to-soil contact. Uh, what are what are some of the things that, that you've seen? I know certainly you talk about the germinator closing wheels with that inner shoulder kind of giving you an, an extra advantage. Uh, but what are some of the things you've seen as you get some of those variable conditions? Well, depending on how they're setting their down pressure, and, uh, you know, I'm, I guess what I'm going to look at a couple of things. You'll see some things in, in with a lot of products. They're setting their down pressure for one condition, and it's not performing in the other. So they, they come to the dry, and they just don't have enough pressure to squeeze the soil over. Uh, and uh, in the wet, it's always difficult to break that uh, sidewall and uh, squeeze the air out of that part of the furrow. One of the things that I, our system, uh, we've got a lot of flat surfaces. And you set the down pressure. It's got a lot of float when it gets into conditions that are very soft. And uh, so it squeezes the air out without overpenetrating. While it, when you're in the drier part, you've got that extra down pressure that still squeeze that furrow shut and uh, compress the uh, the air out, compress the soil around the seed and give you that firm vein that is ideal for uh, germination and emergence. So those are some of the things I see. You know, you see a lot of products split the soil towards the furrow as opposed to uh, our product that presses the soil to the base of the furrow. And I think that gives us a very, very excellent advantage. Yeah, it, it definitely makes a difference. There's no doubt about that. And I, I would say this, too. Uh, one of the fun things is in varying conditions, you're going to see certain systems uh, really perform differently. This has been one, the Germinator closing wheels, that we found that's worked good uh, in just about everything we've put it through. But for your own farm, and I liked what you, the way you started this, Tony, uh, that just have a closing wheel challenge on your own farm and try some different ones on your planter and put some germinators on there and just see what the difference is for you. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. It's Farmer Friday today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop.
When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to be part of the conversation or talk about an agronomic thing that could help your farm out, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, i got LeVon on right now out in Pennsylvania. How's it going out there? It's going pretty good. So I understand you want to talk a little bit about Zyway. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, I heard last week or the week before – you were talking about it, and you said you had real good results using the Thrive 3D system from FMC, I guess? Yes. Yep, we've been doing that but, now for a few years. Actually, we we got a different planter last year, and we put a Thrive system on that one, too. And uh, it's been, been nice for us. A couple of things, our guys like it, that they don't have to fill very often. So we can plant all right. day, and that sure beats. Uh, we used to use a lot of dry insecticide. That was a lot of bags to dump. It seems like it's always windy during planting season. Not very pleasant. Uh, this way, uh, they were able to use a liquid product and only have to fill once a day, and that was that was pretty nice. Well, is that going in the seed trench, or where yeah, are you going with it? we are. We're dropping it right in the seed trench, and um, and we, we it's hard to describe over the radio as much as if you see a picture, but it, it really does turn it into a steady stream of foam that we just felt we were getting so much better coverage. Now, FMC claims it's 50 times better coverage than the liquid. I don't know if it's 50 times or not. I have no way to measure that, but it's definitely better. So we felt like we got a good dose of Zyway on every seed instead of when we were trying to put in furrow and we were putting out five gallons of liquid, right. it just seemed like it was spitting and then there'd be nothing. And some seeds would be covered and others wouldn't have any. And th this just is so much better. But I thought when we started with that going in the seed trench that it was 
slowing down emergence, or maybe that wasn't true. No, no, you're right. There's a lot of talk about that year one, and what what they found was just kind of what I was trying to describe there, that by putting a low rate of liquid in the furrow, it doesn't really matter what it is, a, a fertilizer, a uh, fungicide, whatever, you're just going to get an uneven amount of product on each seed. And that's what they were seeing. It, the product Zyway is a triazole fungicide that actually can inhibit gibberellic acid production, which means it's going to slow down elongation of that plant. So you're right. going to see a little unevenness in height. Now, we didn't see it hurt yield but it did kind of look weird out in the field that you saw some plants were taller than others. And it looked like, well, honestly, it looked like your planter just did a terrible job and that wasn't it at all. It was that you had this product that was inhibiting gibberellic acid production in your corn. So it's not about the in or out when you're using that Thrive 3D system because that spreads it out so much better. You could accomplish the same thing if you were doing Zyway LFR right in the furrow just by putting out say 15 gallons of product but nobody wants to do that everybody wants to just put a gallons of stuff in the furrow so if you aren't willing to put a lot of gallons in furrow then i'd say put it in the two by two instead just to well, take away the safety that's issue. what we that's what we did last year we perfect in the conceal yeah. and the, with the nitrogen and the two by two and it worked we thought we had good results you bet but i was wondering i mean we would probably have better if we would put it in the furrow. No, the I don't think system. so. I don't. Th well, the Thrive system we like. If you're going to go in furrow, I would recommend using the Thrive system. But you can keep doing it how you're doing it with your conceal system. Okay. Okay. Yep, that'll right. work fine. I, I was kind of amazed how much disease there was in Pennsylvania last year. I was amazed by the tar spot. I, I just thought the weather conditions weren't necessarily conducive to that. But, boy, it, it's not the easiest place to raise corn. The tar spot was around, but it came late and didn't really affect yield, I don't think. But good, it was there. Well, and that's one of the things uh, Zyway has gotten a suppression label for tar spot. And one of the comments that they had made in, what, in their data and their trials is they'd just seen a later onset of tar spot as part of this. And then when it comes that late, it doesn't take off the yield like when it comes earlier. So right. that, that'd be right on track. Okay. Well. Thanks for the info. You bet. Thanks a lot, Levon. Really appreciate it. Yep. Have a good afternoon. You too. Let's head up to North Dakota here. Got Clark on with us right now. How are you doing, Clark? Not too bad. Just uh, kind of can't believe how much snow and miserable weather we've got. You know, and it's and it kind of varies across North Dakota too. I know there's some areas not nearly as much, and then you come. Seems like that I-94 corridor really got hit hard. Yeah, no, we're we're about 15 miles north of the interstate, and uh, yeah, we've got you know the record is 110, and and at our place we're we're there already. I mean, we've got we've got so much snow piled up, it's just it's crazy. I mean, so, it's fun. It's fun. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's fun breaking yield records, but breaking snow accumulation records, I don't think that sounds good at all, Clark. No, no, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I think we're gonna have a lot of PP in our area. I think we're gonna have a lot. A lot of late seeded crops. I mean, they're, they're not passing anything even close to forty for another, you know, two weeks. Well, yeah. and then that takes us. Well, that's April, you know, and so yeah. we, we've been seeding in April before. So I'm I'm pretty concerned about it. Um, we're actually kind of maybe considering changing some of our intentions and stuff just because we know we can't get rid of the snow that quick. And if we do, it's going to be 
it's going to be floods. But we aren't froze underneath the snow. We got it really early, and so, you know, wherever we're out pushing snow where we haven't touched the snow, we're digging in the dirt. So I guess that's good, too. So Yeah, and, you know, that was kind of the debate Brad and I were having earlier, too. If there isn't frost or isn't very much frost, how much of the snow is just going to soak in when we get melting? And, you know, if that's the case and we got room in the ground and the ground's relatively dry, we might have a shot yet. I mean, we aren't giving up hope yet. No, I, I, I definitely believe that, that that could be the could be the case, but we're going to have to have a nice gradual thaw. You know, if, if we get into April, um, you know, there's a chance all of a sudden one day we get up into the 70s and it, it can't soak in that fast. It just can't. So yeah. it, it would be a mess. So. Yep, that's for sure. Yeah, we need a nice, steady, nice, steady little melt and lots of sunshine. That would be very helpful <laughs> along the way. Okay, yeah. so talk to us about this. So where you're at in North Dakota, and I know guys say, man, can you switch to much earlier corn hybrids? Can you switch to much earlier soybean hybrids? Well, yeah, you can. There, there are earlier things. Is this going to force you, if you can, let's just assume it goes the best possible scenario and you can actually get in, is it going to force you to back out of some corn acres yet, or is it too early to make that call? Yeah, well, we, you know, we rotate about uh, eight different crops on our, on our farm, um, and it, it's hard to mess around with our crop rotations, but you know, we could definitely go to a little bit later season, uh, you know, a shorter maturing uh, um, soybean or corn. But more than likely, we would probably try to go to like something like sunflowers or, or something like that a little bit later in the season. Can't, can't vary off too much, but, uh, you know, we're just kind of thinking about it right now. So, Yeah, we, we hear a lot about diversification and spreading your risk out. I don't think there's hardly, well, there aren't many places better than North Dakota doing this. You mentioned having eight crops in rotation. My thing, Clark, when I was growing up, my dad always told me how easy we had it, that we had <laughs> hogs and cattle and corn and soybeans, a little bit of alfalfa, a little bit of oats and wheat. He goes, this is nothing. You should go north and see what those guys are doing. How do you do it? How do you manage eight crops? I mean, from storage to just understanding all the tricks that go into raising each one of them. You know, I'm not I'm not a professor in any of that stuff, but I know enough on each crop how, how, how to make it work, you know, and, and just rotating different crops with different chemicals and stuff. We've been able to eliminate a lot of, uh, you know, resistant weeds and stuff, but we also run about a thousand head of cows. And so we need, you know, we got to have feed in our rotation and it, it, it gets complicated. Um, but, you know, when you grow up doing it, it's, it's not so bad. It, it's, it's, it's doable. Now, it's really fun. I mean, I, I love going through North Dakota and just seeing all the different crops and, and talking to folks about it because, yeah, we don't have quite that diversity right where I'm at. So, uh, Clark, good luck to you guys. Hopefully uh, hopefully the snow goes away nice and slow and predictably. That, that would be great. I don't like the sound of PP. It's way too early to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's it, but you got to be thinking about it. Uh, we're we're at that time of the season now where you got to be thinking. I actually think that we're seeing a little bit of rally in the in the wheat market just because of the snow we're having up here in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana. I mean, there's a lot of acres that are going to get planted a little, a little late, and I think the the markets are starting to realize that. So yeah, that's that's a great maybe some tip. opportunities and maybe some marketing opportunities here uh, coming up. You bet. Well, Clark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. Anytime. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Get what you spray for. Results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and messes before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. It's a St. Patrick's Day version of Ag PhD Farmer Friday. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Uh, on today's program, we're going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll also answer your emails you send to radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Ohio. We've got Brett down with us right now. How's it going, Brett? Oh, great. How about yourself today? Well, not too bad. Not too bad. What's it look like when you look out your window? Do you see white out there, or are fields starting to uh, to be ready for planting soon? Uh, they're not ready for planting anytime soon, but, yeah, we've gotten rid of the white, and uh, we're, it's still wet, uh, starting to warm up. We've been in the 30s 
there for highs, and uh, hopefully we'll get some warm up here in the next few weeks. But uh, still working on planters and and uh, getting the last uh, niches put on spring prep. So yeah, a lot of things to get in order, no doubt about that. Did you make it down to Commodity Classic this year? Yes, sir. Made it down for two of the days. Got to meet a lot of of uh, old friends, got to sit down with them and talk, and uh, uh, you always learn something when you're there, that's for sure. Yeah, that is that is a, a big deal. And this year, uh, certainly Classic was was pretty big show. They had a big crowd. Yeah, they had over 10,000. Uh, that was the biggest show they ever had. Uh, still as big as that trade show is, it didn't look uh, packed at all. Uh, a little bit different from Louisville where you uh, have to – uh, the highways are thin and you could barely get through but uh, I like to go to commodity because uh, you get to talk to the movers and shakers and I talked to a couple uh, talked to a horse uh, representative and a case representative we're looking for a, maybe a air seeder uh, for wheat in the next few years so got a lot of questions answered it's a good time yeah, yeah, it's nice to be able to compare different brands just almost side by side and just go from one to the very next and, and instead of having to drive 20 miles to the next dealership or something like that, it's it's pretty slick. And, and you're right, you got the people there that can answer some of those questions. So you say you're working on planners, getting last prep ready. What are you finding this year? You know, supply issues have been a, a big deal the last few years. Having any trouble with anything or is it all seeming to work out pretty well? No, it's getting better, actually. Uh, we, Of course, we ordered uh, parts, you know, a couple months ago because we knew what we needed to do with the planters. But it's mostly just uh, wear parts that we're going through, some uh, um, some discs and some drop tubes for some tube-a-two and also for uh, in-furrow. Uh, so, uh, no, things have been pretty good, but uh, I'm wondering about uh, electronics still. Uh, we hope that gets better than what it has been the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's still some challenges. And I, I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, just the planter too. uh, being in Ohio, I know a lot of cover crops out there. What have you guys found with that? Are, are you planning into a live cover crop? Do you do a burn down in advance or what's, what's been your experience? Well, for the corn, we've discovered that killing it early works best for us. Uh, you don't see too much antagonism then between uh, the uh, dying ruts and trying to get the ground to warm up. The beans, though, we planted into this green, uh, but it just depends on we don't want the uh, straw to get too, we're using rye, so we don't want the straw to get too tall. Uh, but uh, it seems like if you leave the straw green uh, for beans you can get uh, wicking some moisture but with corn on it it's just worked better for us for uh, killing it early and and uh, putting some residual down and then uh, worrying about getting it planted. Have you had to modify anything on the planter to be able to go through the cover crop or or were you able to go through with your current setup you had? No, we changed. We had just no-till colders on it, but in fact, we've taken the no-till colders off, and we've got uh, floating uh, row cleaners that we use in the front, and also with the uh, air uh, lift and, and pressure on those, it seems like that's um, 
got rid of the problems that we had with slicing and, and dirt in the furrow or excuse me, the organic matter in our furrow. And, and it's really helped a lot. Uh, that was one thing that when we put that on, that made uh, no-till a whole lot easier for us. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Always making observations and, and changing things up a little bit. You mentioned fertilizer delivery, two-by-two, in-furrow. What what have you found? Are you, are you putting stuff on both ways? And if so, what, what have you decided to take out of the furrow? Well, we've taken, actually, we've taken uh, the 1034 out or the, the 28 that we were using and just using infurro for uh, um, fungicides. Uh, we've had some crown rot issues in the past and we found out that if we could put some fungicide in the row, we've uh, pretty much uh, settled those issues. And uh, for the tuba two, we've uh, also increased back to where we were 10 years ago about putting a little bit more tuba two um to get the corn up and going and holding it on till we can get our second shot of nitrogen on at uh v4 or so v4 four to six so uh we saw that when we took some of that out that we were seeing some uh slowdown in that crop uh especially when it's starting to uh put uh the rows and length on so we wanted to make sure there was plenty of nitrogen in the plant to get it keep it going so we've actually gone back to putting almost 20 gallons on which is kind of a pain but uh i don't know it's it seemed to uh work for us yeah my dad was always hassling brian and me you're putting on too much stuff you're slowing down here <laughs> slowing us down but i i don't care about that as long as we get the yield that's what we were trying to go for i i like your idea of split shot in that nitrogen too and and you get enough out there to get you started uh, but then come back in a little bit later and put in more. Are you throwing sulfur on at the same time when you're doing that V4 to V6, or are you going just straight in? We pull, put sulfur on every time we go across the field. In fact, um, we've that's been our limiting. One of our limiting uh, yield factors is because you know we don't get the sulfur out of the out of the air. We've cleaned up the air so much that we have to buy sulfur. And you tell that to a to a uh, <laughs> urbanite, and they just go, "What?" You, you know? sound you sound like but my brother now, Brett. Brett compl- <laughs> or Brian complains about that. He's like, "Man, we cleaned up the air too much now. It's costing us a lot of money here." I'm like, uh, "I'm okay with yeah. clean air." <laughs> uh, so we've ended up, and we found the earlier we can get it on, the better off we are. But we put it on both both shots because uh, it seems like the sulfur allows the nitrogen better up uptake into the plant too yeah i i agree with you i i like having that sulfur out there and i think a lot of the ratios too that have been recommended by universities and others over time it seems like that ratio of sulfur is getting higher and higher as as a component here that guys are seeing hey we we have less that we're getting for free we got to start paying for it and getting it out there and it definitely does show up in our crop yes i agree wholeheartedly well, it sounds like you got some more cold weather coming, so it won't won't be too bad a deal working in the shop, but hopefully it warms up for you guys eventually, Brett. Great hearing from you. Great to hear what you guys are working on. I really like it, and, and good luck to you here heading into the spring. Thank you. You too. 
yeah, there's so many little details to, to go. That, that was awesome. I, I love just hearing some of the thought process that, that Brett and his crew are, are doing, uh, just how they're handling the cover crop. And I know that's been a big discussion. And uh, I, I just noted that he was different what he was doing in corn versus soybeans, that, that corn burning down early was really important for him. And, um, and then also just chain up um, how their planter, what they were doing with the, the airlift floating coulters, those kinds of things. To, to try and flow through there better. There's just always adjustments. When you change one thing on the farm, as as you well know, that, that impacts several other decisions that you make down the road. Uh, even even the fertilizer piece there, just trying to get more sulfur out there, seeing more benefit. I, I would say the same thing here on our farm. We're seeing more benefit, putting a little more sulfur out there. Uh, and you know just putting it out throughout the season but I like what he said too we, we got to get it on early it, it really helps things I thought that was a great tip love to hear from you love to hear what's going on in your farm too it's Farmer Friday here and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD we'll be right back when it comes to cereal disease protection Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. 
And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kansas. Get Carl on with us right now. How's it going, Carl? That's not too bad, Darren. You know, it'd be a lot better if we can just catch one of these rains when they fly by and stop in eastern Kansas instead of here in central. <laughs> you know, I, I saw a farmer had posted a video of a wheat field looking like it was basically blowing away in Kansas. Man, there there's some guys in need of rain, no doubt about that. We'd love to send you some snow, Carl. We got a few extra feet of that up here. I don't know that we have any extra rain, though. I have a we have a son that lives in Fargo, and I believe they're in that five to six foot range now. And yes, man, no, if, I'm right in central Kansas, forty fifty miles north of Wichita, and if you go west southwest all the way to the to the Panhandles, uh, you're not going to find much wheat left. Uh, they it, it's it's pretty sad, but. Um, you know, that's, that's part of the agronomy life that we live in. You know, uh, we were talking to Clark up in North Dakota, and he's uh, he'd be west of Fargo, but um, about the same latitude. And he was saying they've got enough snow up there. He's just worried, guys, that wanted to get spring cereals in. It's going to be pretty challenging. And then you talk about this, that uh, Kansas, it's not, not going too well down there for wheat. The markets are starting to pick up on this. Well, they, they are, you know, and uh, we had a neighbor that was doing some uh, dirt work, some earth-moving stuff here last two, three weeks, and uh, they ran out of moisture at the 18-inch level. And normally, you know, for dryland crops, we like to see a 48-inch profile before we get into spring crops, but uh, now we're fine on the top foot and a half, but after that, there's no reserves, but uh, maybe... Uh, Good Lord will keep track of us and help us out here pretty soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, that's that's no fun when the rains just don't come. Uh, so, you know, you look this year, Carl, lots of different crops. Does that mean when you get dry years like that, does that mean more sunflowers? Does that mean more sorghum, those kinds of things? Or in your area, the rotation's pretty set? Well, if you if you have good water, in other words, uh, in your irrigation, Darren, uh, you'll stay pretty consistent with, with corn and uh, soybeans. Okay. And then you maybe rotate in some others. But for the drylanders around, uh, we look pretty strong at sunflowers. Uh, might be the most water-efficient uh, crop there is or close. You know, we, we don't want to start that argument, but it's pretty tough. And grain sorghum, <laughs> too. Yep. But, you know, they, <laughs> the sunflower uh, price is hanging in there. Our markets are good. Demand is good. So uh, we'll see what goes. Yeah. Like yeah. last like last year uh, after wheat, I double crop a lot of sunflowers after two years of wheat. But uh, I didn't get them all in. It's too dry. They wouldn't come up. And so we were short a little bit. Yep. T- touch us about corn. When does that planting start in your part of Kansas? In, in central Kansas, uh, the dryland corn, uh, if we have adequate moisture, which we're borderline at this point, uh, next week to 10 days, Okay. Uh, they'll get after it pretty good. Uh, now, those of us that, that watered corn in southwest Kansas, it's going to be into April. You know, you want to be you want to be done by tax day. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that that's the whole idea. But the earlier, the better on these on these 
90, 95-day hybrids or 100-day hybrids that you're planting. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting hearing the time frame in different areas. And I know, like for us, we, we feel like, okay, we've got some time yet. Our first crop insurance day for corn isn't until April 10th. So we've got uh, almost a month there before we'd even think about planting if conditions were great. Right. So right. We, we don't have to sweat it too much just yet. But, well, Carl, hopefully we, we catch some rain up here in the spring and we'll send it down to you guys as well. That'd be great. And don't uh, don't let the floods coming from the Red River bother you either, you know? So. Yeah, well, fortunately, that goes north. That goes north, Carl. So even your son at Fargo, yeah, yeah, that, that, that'll just head north away from them. Uh, it's Grand Forks that we worry about more than that. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, he, li- he, lives, he lives within two blocks of the Red River. Oof. So Yeah, it could be an interesting yeah, spring. Yeah, it flows north. Yep, yep. Well, Carl, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck to you heading into the spring here. Yeah, no problem, Darren. Talk to you again someday. You bet. Let's head over to Michigan. Got Heath on with us right now. How you doing, Heath? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, what can we do for you today? Oh, I've been listening to your show and uh, learned that phosphorus doesn't move in the soil. And uh, we've been all no-till since about 2005. Okay. Dad was doing it. I just took over. This is my second year doing the farming. Okay. Uh, but concern is, after listening to your show, how do I get the phosphorus in the ground? You know, I think I've come up with a plan to blend 1034O along with 28 and 2% sulfur with my starter for the corn. Okay. And uh, now when you say starter, is, is, that, is that two by two or how are you doing that? Well, I'm not quite sure what two by two is. Uh, two, yeah, it'd be... It'd be Putting it off to the side two the inches road, and it, two inches. oh yeah yeah go ahead yes yes off off the row okay yeah I think that's off, what a lot of no tillers are doing off. Heath a lot of no tillers are doing that they're they're just trying to go with you know some sort of system that gets it down in the ground at least a couple inches uh, if they can more would be even better but somehow injecting it down. It, it, we just don't want it laying on the soil surface. And that's that's been our frustration. We see a lot of broadcast fertilizer applications just laying on top. And the nitrogen piece can move. The potassium, especially if you've got medium or, or lighter soils, can move a little bit. But that phosphorus is just such a slow mover in soil that we feel like if you just inject it down, like what you're talking, you get it down to the ground a couple inches, uh, you've sped up the process by about 40 years of how far that phosphorus is going to move. And and the biggest risk with phosphorus is it's the limiting factor for algae growth in fresh water. So if you've got a river or a lake or a stream nearby uh, and you see algae growth, a lot of times phosphorus is the thing that it needs to, to get that algae to really take off. So if you've got phosphorus laying well, on the soil we, surface, we, it can be a problem. We are in the Lake Erie watershed. So, yeah. Okay. If you know anything about Lake Erie and oh, the yeah. algae bloom, it's it's a big deal. Yes. I also know that if you take a nice little cruise on Lake Erie along the side, you see some pipes coming out of factories and out of cities, and that makes me pretty nervous, too. I don't think farmers are necessarily the big problem, but I realize we oftentimes get the blame for it. And not saying we aren't part of the problem. Yeah, we do. Just saying we're not the whole problem. Correct. But, but yeah, for well, your phosphorus, if, if you could just get it, 
if you can get it down even an inch or two at least, that that helps so much, Heath. And then you think about too when you get dry, uh, where where are the roots going to be pulling in water and nutrients? Well, they're going to be down a little bit deeper. The top couple inches dry out first. So the deeper we can get that phosphorus in, you know, if we can get it down six inches, that'd be amazing. Uh, which for for our farm, we ended up going to strip till, and then we could put stuff in a little bit deeper. But I get it; that's not for everybody, and there's certainly a lot of advantages doing no-till. Uh, what do you think about cover crops, Heath? Are you guys doing cover crops? Because some guys say, "Well, if I can get cover crop roots to grow deeper, uh, maybe I can push some of these nutrients down too." Yeah, we're doing annual ryegrass uh, before corn. Okay. So we're flying that on, or uh, you know spreading it over top uh, in the fall, and then uh, doing winter rye ahead of beans. Sure. So, and, and we've been doing that for, I don't know, five, six years at least. Okay. Uh, and it, it seems to be working well. You know, some of the past couple falls have been dry, and they haven't got a real good germination rate, you know, so that, that doesn't help. No. Uh, no, it's not, it's not perfect. I mean, you gotta you gotta have the right weather, and we had the same thing last year. Our cover crop eh, didn't get very big. The year before, it was amazing, <laughs> and we thought, "Wow, we know what we're doing here." And then we just got no rain on on this last falls, and that that didn't work as good for us either. Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, when you needed the rain in September or something to get it going, which didn't get it. But, yep, you know, it's better than nothing, I guess. It's a little expensive to throw it out on the ground and, and yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah oh. it's you know that is the challenge and i guess like you say if you're in your second year of of really holding the reins here on this farm you'll you'll see over time it's a lot of these decisions are what works out on a five-year average or on a year average because there's certainly going to be the the one or two extremes in there along the way hey he thank you so much really appreciate well, the call good luck on the phosphorus and and on the crop going in this year all right, thank you. You bet, thank you. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open right now at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Haven't dug into the Ag PhD mailbag, though, yet. Let's do that right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, ready for some mailbag? Fire away. All right. Uh, this one comes from Brandon. He said, I'm in South Central Minnesota. I've got CECs in the mid-20s, like 25. Uh, just purchased a farm where I'm going to run some beef cows on stalks after corn, and I've never done this before. So I'm wondering, what are your recommendations on for tillage before planting if we're going to go beans or, or if we're going to do corn on corn in the spring? We normally are disc ripping our corn ground in the fall, but since we're going to run cattle, of course, uh, could I just use a field cultivator in the spring or will that not do a good enough job? Wait, since they're going to run cattle or since they did run cattle? Uh, nope, uh, going to run cattle. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, as I'm sure everybody knows by my line of questioning here, is if you had cattle out there, and let's say it was a little wet or whatever, then you may have a little more work to do to get things smoothed out. Hard to say, depending on what the, the soil conditions are like. But anyway, I mean, I, I guess let's put it this way. We've we've tried everything, including all kinds of dumb stuff on our farm and, and done things where you go, yeah, that's not working very well, but you can usually figure that out real fast. So we've tried this exact same thing where we go out with field cultivator and we say, yeah, it's not doing a good enough job. We got to get a different tool or field cultivated a second time or whatever. So, I mean, without looking at the field, it's really hard to say. And I also don't know uh, what its field cultivator is like, but I, I will say like, especially soybean ground, a lot of times that's that is all we do is just field cultivated so or you know ground that was soybeans going into corn if it's corn going into soybeans then that's going to be a lot tougher to think that a field cultivator is going to go through corn stalks real well 
you could try that, but I mean, I we sure haven't had very good luck just doing that. Yep, it's going to change uh, depending on the year and your timing getting cattle in and out, no doubt about that. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Really? Well, oh. well I, I still don't see where the cat, this cattle thing, if it's cattle in the future, I, I don't understand well, why. He's saying, he's saying for them, play. normally they've got to disgrip corn stalks. He's wondering, yeah. will the cattle eat enough of the corn stalks that they can get by with a field cultivator? Oh, and okay, well, now I finally understand the question. Um, I, I bit. But it is possible. You know, the other thing that you could do rather than having to discrip is you could chop those stalks up some other way with uh, some type of coulter machine if you wanted to. So, I mean, I, I would also say we've gone out with just a strip-till machine. Even in the spring, that could be done. So, I mean, there are other ways to handle this because you're not going to want to discrip in the spring. Okay. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Brandon. Uh, next one comes in from uh, Albert. He said, let's say that you're adding a residual herbicide that lasts long in your soil and you add it a couple of weeks before planting and you till it into the ground. Just curious, if you don't get any rain, uh, but, uh, but you've got seed in the ground, do you have any worries about damaging seed? Is there a worry if you get a big rain, those types of things? What, what should I be concerned yep. about? Yeah, there is a little bit. Um, did, did he say which? Pro oh, it, let me go back. Did, did he say corn or soybeans? Did he say which products? Any of that Did, kind of thing? Didn't say. He was just just curious okay. about residual herbicide. Sounds like somebody that hasn't yeah. really used a residual before. Yeah. So I mean, occasionally you might see something, but it's no big deal. Let's put it this way: we farm in a very very dry area, um, so quite often we will spray herbicides and there's just no rain. That's part of the reason why we like spraying super early or we like tillage. That way it gives us either with the tillage we get it into the ground or with the super early spraying we have more time to get rain on it. But yeah, we've had this exact scenario happen on our farm plenty of times, almost never any issue. The one product I would say that I'm slightly concerned about would be Prowl. And that's the reason why north of Interstate 80, it's not labeled for after planting because you could have a whole bunch get into the plant if the rain hits about right when that seed's coming out of the ground. Well, it's really not the seed. It's the hypocotyl, and that the crook of that hypocotyl can absorb a whole bunch of prowl, and then you have a standability issue two, three months later. So other than that, but let's put it this way. If you put prowl on real early, no problem. If you till prowl in, no problem. And with the Group 15s, Dual, Harness, Surpass, Outlook, Vidua, I mean, where we see more issues like stunting, it's cold, wet conditions, not dry conditions and spraying later. So I'm not that worried. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one that came in from Brandon, and he said, Hey, guys, uh, just wanted to ask you a question here. I'm a young farmer, and I'm coming into a family farm. And I really enjoyed listening to your episodes. I'm learning as much as I can here. But I'm wondering if you could discuss this. Does it make sense for a young guy like me to try and rent land on my own? Is it better for the farm to rent the land, the family farm to rent the land instead of me individually? I've been thinking about it late, lately and it doesn't really make sense for me to rent as I don't have equipment. So I'd have to pay 
custom rates or something like that. I don't expect the farm to do the work for me as it's lost revenue for them. What what kind of situations have you seen like this and how can a young guy get started? Okay, so here's another question. I don't know if I fully understand. What him renting it himself so he's, versus he's the get, farm. And yeah, he's, he's part get, of the farm? He's getting back into his family farm, and he's wondering if, if it does him any good to have land that he's renting on his own and then rent the equipment from the farm or pay the farm to custom farm it, those kinds of things. I, I mean, everybody wants to do something different. I can make an argument either way. So if... I, I would just say, I'll give the example of us growing up on the farm. So when we were young, Darren and me, we got to basically rent our dad's facilities and have hogs in there. And so we were in charge of the pigs and we got the money from the pigs. And so it all worked out good actually until we made too much money and then dad took the extra. But anyway, I mean, you could certainly try to farm it on your own, rent the equipment, and go from there if you want to. I mean, it's it's not a bad idea. Part of the reason why people like doing that is then they're extra motivated to make sure that this is really good. There are others who don't need that extra motivation. They're like, well, I just want our whole farm and our family farm to do really well, so don't care. Um I, I don't know. Like I say, I could see it either way and I could make arguments either way. So it's really up to you, whatever you want to do. And, you know, here's the other thing. You can try it, um, doing a little bit on your own and just see and just have the discussion with your family and say, hey, look, I, want, I just want to try this. If, it, if it's terrible, then I won't do this anymore. But I, I just I want to try this. So all depends on what you want to do. Yep. Yeah, I know. Every, every operation does things just a little bit differently on that. Some want to own land individually. Some want to own it together. Uh, some want to own the equipment altogether, which makes to me makes a lot of sense since uh, equipment is awfully expensive and uh, it seems smarter to own it all together rather than to, well, hey, I own this tractor and you own that planter. How do you how do you figure out how that works exactly but yeah lots of lots of different things first of all i'd say brandon uh congratulations to you getting back into the farming operation i think it's awesome but yeah i think having those money conversations with the uh the older generation and the other family members having those on the front side is really important to hey where do we see this thing going over the next 20 years and how do we get there in the best way and also remain really good friends and, and really like each other. So you don't want money to come in between those relationships. All right. Um, got a couple comments that came in. Uh, one was uh, from CB. He said, if you continuous crop in low rainfall areas, for example, here in Saskatchewan, uh, you just don't have any crop the next year. You really need to fallow in order to have uh, build up of moisture. It also helps with weed control. Well, yeah, but that's where we're always talking about fertility and moisture conservation and things like that. So that was that was that way in western South Dakota too for a long time, and now a lot of guys are raising continuous crop, and that's always the hope that you can have farming practices good enough so you can go continuous crop. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and there are people in lower rainfall areas than you might be that that are doing it. So just a be open-minded enough to see okay what are you doing different and how could i possibly make that work here because you're right if you're short of any nutrients your crop becomes a water waster no matter how much or how little you have so getting nutrients in balance and treating that soil well are super important too 
Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.